and welcome back to the Better, Faster, and Happier podcast. This podcast has one aim, which is to get straight into the detail on what it takes to make organizations better, faster, and happier. And today I've got Barty, who's an agile coach with me. Barty, thank you so much for being on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself to us, please? Yeah, thank you. So excited to be here. Uh, I am Barty Rupani. Uh, just like Nancy said, I am a agile coach in the finance industry. And just excited to be here and speak with you all. Awesome. Thank you so much. So in the finance industry, Agile Coach, I'm sure we're going to get some interesting stories from you. <laughs> so when I say better, faster, happier organization, what comes to mind? So I definitely lean towards happier and better. And so with happier, I think of being able to be authentic. Your work is enjoyable. You're excited to be there. And overall, I think of trusting each other. So trusting your coworkers and colleagues, and then also the organization, trusting their employees that work there. I see a lot of workplace policies where they inherently are coming from a place of mistrust. So that creates a totally, creates an environment or a culture that doesn't allow for better to happen, right? Mm. Yeah. So, so that's what I think of when I hear better and, or rather happier, sorry, um, with better, I think of a clear vision and understanding of what we're trying to achieve. Because if we don't have that clear understanding, then how can we coordinate with each other to actually deliver something in a better way or deliver a better product or have better communication or whatever the case may be? For For faster, I don't think of moving fast. I actually think of being able to respond quickly mm. or to be able to recover quickly. So things like being open to learning of new ways of solving problems. I think this is where faster, this is where it helps us become faster, being open. And then now we learn new things and then therefore we can actually respond quicker. That sense? completely, yeah, no, that completely makes sense. And a couple of the kind of examples uh, that you were sharing have actually kind of prompted two questions in my mind, mm -hmm. which is the policies that come from a place of mistrust, as you've just articulated to us. What about a policy allows us to understand or allows us to recognize that this policy comes from a place of mistrust? Because I think that you hit the nail on the hammers that we are governed by policies within companies and even within departments. And that limits yeah. us. But how mm -hmm. I think our ability to not actually identify these policies quicker or even earlier on in our journeys, that's what makes it really hard. So I don't know if you have any thoughts around this. Yeah. Wow. I actually haven't thought of it that way. Like when these policies or how we, let me take a step back. So with this question, what's coming up for me is, first of all, a million different thoughts. So mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to try to keep it focused. So you're so right. We don't know that these policies are coming from a place of mistrust when we're first starting out. I think if it doesn't allow you to be your authentic self, that's mm. when you know that it's coming from a place where they're like kind of controlling you. And mm. controlling you to be a certain way so that it could fit their mold, which is for them something that they trust. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And also just to kind of add to that, then it just makes me think that if people can't rationalize and justify the why behind mm -hmm. a policy, then it might 
have some smells to it, as in it could come from a place of mistrust. And I love how you say, in order for us to get better, we need to get the happier part right. What are your certain experiences around the better side in terms of like getting companies to not focus or getting teams to not necessarily focus on speed, but focus more on quality? The one thing that always comes to mind when I think of this is, are we really, do we really understand our customer? And Mm. do we really know what, how they're behaving with our product? So if it's a, Mm. if it's a mobile app, do we really know what happens when that person opens that app? And if, if we really understood that, then I feel like that we can connect to our customer, which will empower us to make different types of recommendations on what we do with our product, right? That connect Mm. with the customer and that will make us better because that excites us too. When we see our customer using Mm. our product the way we wanted them to use it, or now they're getting some useful and whatever the case may be, whatever the customer is getting out of it, that makes us excited. Mm, Absolutely. When you, so from a practical sense, when you try and bring the customer closer to the teams, is it a matter of bringing a customer into the room and then the customer, the team can ask them questions or is it doing research about the customer? Yeah. I'm just curious because I think we all hear that we should be more customer centric, but unfortunately we don't necessarily create the bandwidth to do that. And I, I, sometimes I wonder if it's because people just don't know how to find out more information about the customer. Yeah, this is such a great question. I think you could do a lot of different things. One example would be bringing that customer into the room so that the team can spend time with the customer I've done that before Mm. and it was successful. We actually sat there and watched the customer interact with the product and saw how they actually used it, where they were wanting to click even. They're naturally Mm. where they were pointing their mouse to. So, you know, that in itself just gave us insight into like, well, they're kind of wanting to click something in the upper right hand corner. Should something else be there, right? Like should something be there for them? Or just ask, mm. having that conversation with them. The other thing too is absolutely research, um, testing how people are interacting with the product, things like that. And I don't think that we have to do a lot. We just have to do enough to start understanding to make better decisions. Mm. When do you know that you've done enough? I agree with what you're saying. And my reason for stating this is because, especially when you work in an environment that is so focused on being fast, Mm -hmm. and then you forget the better element, Mm -hmm. and you start talking to them about being more customer-centric, doing user research, user testing, creating empathy maps, people say, oh, but then I've got to do all these steps before we start building. And when is enough enough to get the ball rolling? That's such a good question. I think Keep it small in the beginning, right? Mm -hmm. And just focus on one thing. So when we initially brought in our customer to see how he was using the product, what we did with that was we kept it focused on only one workflow within the product. And Mm. we focused it only just on one thing. We're like, let's solve just this one problem first and just see the impact of that. And then Mm -hmm. go a second step. And maybe we meet with a different customer group. Or maybe we bring in other customers for the same workflow, right? Mm -hmm. And then we build upon that. So I think in the beginning, start small. What is the one place 
what's the most common action that your customers are taking on the in the product mm. or what if it's like a online store maybe it's browsing right or putting things into the cart let's just say that as an example so study that understand that interact with your customers that are doing that first before you can go to the next step because if you can make that piece more enjoyable and it has a bigger impact for your customer then you can go to the next piece and so on and so forth. That completely makes sense. And if we think about Agile and what it's designed to do, mm-hmm. other than creating an environment where people trust each other, it's about focusing on the most valuable thing. Mm-hmm. So if we can focus our energy, as you say, just picking one touch point, one flow, and getting really good at that so that the customer has a positive impact, that probably will reap a reward that's a hundredfold much more than trying to do everything at the same time. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. So my next thought and question really is as well, when it comes to trying to create a better and happier organization, we'll park faster for now. Mm -hmm. What are some of your recent success stories? Great question. The one thing that always comes up for me when I'm working with a particular team or, or an organization or whomever, I like to start with just understanding where they're coming from when they deliver a product a certain way or the way they work with each other, whatever the case may be. I try to come in from a place of curiosity and understanding Mm -hmm. because I feel like when I start there, I'm focused on on them and not so much on like what my mission is, if Mm. that makes sense. So once I start to focus on the team or the organization, whatever, I feel like right there, I've started off, I have a good start. But one success story that comes to mind is I had a team that was resistant to working with a coach. They've had a coach before. They were very resistant to working with a coach. Mm -hmm. But even with that approach that I just described coming in from a place of understanding and curiosity. They just didn't want to work with me. (laughs) So this was like really something that was new to me because when I've approached that with curiosity and understanding, I feel like teams have let me in, right? Yeah. Um, But this was a team that didn't want to let me in. Oh, that'd be hard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was hard growth opportunity for me, right? Mm -hmm. They delivered features. They were really good at delivering features but they were not connected at all with their customers. They were not Mm. connected at all with why they were delivering the features that they were delivering even, or why they were prioritized the way they were. And that concerning to me as a coach or, and it should be concerning to our product owners or to even our customers, right? So the approach that I took with this particular team was, I just started asking them questions about, the product. Hey, can you show me how to do this in Mm. the product? How does a customer do that? What would you assume the customer would do next after doing that? Are you expecting the customer to, you know, interact with the product on using Google Chrome or Safari or, or are they using their phone or iPad? How are they connecting with your product? And I think just asking them questions about the product and the customer, it really encouraged the team to connect with it. Because mm-hmm. now somebody from an outside perspective is coming in and asking. And so now they're like, oh, actually, let me check how we do that. Or let me see. So now they are 
connecting with it in a different way. And they're like, you know what? It would make it better if we did it this way instead. Because if mm. I was a user, then I would want this next. And so that those refinement sessions that they were having as a team with their product owner just changed, right? Now the team is starting to give advice on what feature should be worked on next or what feature should be tweaked or how the product should, the layout should look or whatever the page should look, right? Mm -hmm. So now they've kind of flipped that and it excited them. And it was, I was excited because they were excited. So yeah, yeah I, I took a totally different approach because I needed to understand. So I asked the question and, and it wasn't about agile. It wasn't about scrum. It was really just about the customer and the product. You know what I love about this particular story that you've just shared is that it doesn't places a big emphasis on a methodology. Mm -hmm. It doesn't place an emphasis on agile, which some people are probably sick of hearing, but mm -hmm. instead it places the emphasis on the customer. And the thing that really stands out from your story is that when you were asking questions, it was not from a place of judgment. It was from a place of oh, how would a customer do this? And I think by you asking how gives them the ability to respond back from the perspective of trying to be like the customer. And whenever they experience certain difficulties, they start to see gaps in the product. Yeah. And it just allows for a more constructive conversation because sometimes these conversations become really personal. Exactly. Especially when people spend a lot of their time and hard earned uh, kind of like talent um, building these amazing products, conversations tend to turn really personal. Absolutely. So I just love in your example how you really take it from a place of just being objective, but focusing on the customer. And I love also in the example how the refinement meeting essentially is talking about, ooh, what would the customer want to do here? And just getting people to brainstorm even on a micro level and make sure that they are all on the same page of what value is like. So we should do more of that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. I, I just was so, um, I love teamwork and I love connections. So to me, it was just like, I was so pumped from that conversation with them. Yeah. And just sitting there in the refinement and seeing how they were excited and connecting with one another, I was just like, this is awesome, you know, mm -hmm. then we were able to start talking about, well, what are your biggest pain points within the product? You know, do you have to refactor some code? Let's like, you know, th then we started to tackle those other things. Yeah, that completely makes sense. So I, funny enough, I work with an awesome team for an awesome company, but I work primarily within the HR function of this mm -hmm. company as a coach. And something that is quite transformative in terms of our approach to HR is viewing employees as our customers. So we were talking today very briefly around some of the products that we're building. So for example, like a career map or a career tool that someone can use to help their career development in a company. But we were talking about that from the perspective of what would our customers want? What are the current challenges they have? I think anyone who is building or creating something that has an end user just needs to take the same approach that you've just shared in your story, which is thinking about the customer. What would they want? What's a pain point for them? What is the one thing that if we were to solve or make their life better in this area would honestly turn them into delighted and happy customers who yeah. would be shouting about us from the rooftops? 
Yeah. And I love that you're using this within the HR function. You're saying that your customers are the employees. So that's awesome. I think that's great. So it's quite interesting because it is still relatively new. And mm-hmm. although some companies like Gap have definitely used Agile in HR, which gave birth to some people or some parts of the HR department viewing their employees as customers and also building products more incrementally and building products from an empathy perspective really kind of gave way to how they've performed really well. But I'm hoping and I'm excited to see more companies, Mm -hmm. but I'm also very aware that it still feels like it's the new kid on the block. Yeah. So, but who knows? We'll see. Uh, I might definitely do a podcast on some of my learnings from that, but like life there are struggles. Um, And there are definitely struggles with this because it's all about changing behaviors. Mm -hmm. So what's an area that you currently would love to improve or an area that you're struggling with? Mm. So I see this over and over. It doesn't matter what organization I've been with. And the one problem that I keep seeing repeated is the managers that have been individual contributors over time Mm. and then become promoted into a manager role and they have individuals now reporting to them, a team of individuals reporting to them. I feel like we do a huge disservice to them by not setting them up to succeed by giving them leadership coaching opportunities or by not, Mm -hmm. um, you know, helping them through this process of changing because they're now, their their role has significantly changed, right? So, Mm -hmm. I think that we do a huge disservice within our organizations when we don't give our managers the right tools, the right education around being now a leader within the org. Mm. So this is something that, yeah, yeah, I would love to solve this problem, but, (laughs) and yeah, I'm willing to try almost anything for this, but I would love to see this be solved. No, that completely. I So there's a travel company I used to work for and they had engineering managers mm-hmm. who unfortunately, bless them, they had this notorious reputation of being gap fillers. And that was a term that was used by some people about mm-hmm. engineering managers. And this was not... This was not a description of who they were as a person. This was more about people not really understanding where the role of the manager sits mm-hmm. in a in an agile world. And because we're not taught and because we don't see that the puzzle is not complete, people just don't know how to respond to it. So what we mm-hmm. eventually saw was managers who had close to 10 people, maybe even sometimes 15 to 20 people reporting upwards to these managers. But the manager would sometimes also be a product owner and sometimes he'll Mm -hmm. be like a career advisor and sometimes Mm -hmm. he would be anything people needed them to be. But he just wouldn't be the leader. Mm -hmm. And I think I completely agree. I think it just boils down to people just not knowing how to be leaders, especially if they've not been promoted to this role for being a leader. Like they were promoted to this role because they were great, as you said, great individual contributors to maybe projects. And they were just so great at executing and delivering that it's congratulations, you are now a leader, you're a manager. Right. Right. Give me some tools. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a disservice to them because clearly they did something right. 
right? And that's how they became the manager for that group or within that organization. And it's such a huge disservice to them. I see this repeatedly happening. And and it is something that I have spoken to HR about, like, is there an opportunity here for us to do something like this? Mm. And that it's just so overwhelmed. It feels overwhelming sometimes. But I think that I think we can provide something here, maybe even if it's just a few coaching sessions when the person gets promoted to help them step into their leadership. Oh my God, that completely makes sense. I mean, we have onboarding for new members when they join the company. Why not onboarding when people get a new role? It doesn't necessarily have to be a complete transformation, new career role within the company, but you were not a manager and now you're a manager and now you have to go on a training for the next few days or a few weeks so that at least you're somewhat prepared for the challenge ahead. But I, I definitely think that there is also a mindset shift that needs to happen within HR. Because if I look at HR, I look at it as a system. It's currently just overburdened with so much Mm -hmm. that it has to do. And it takes a very waterfall approach when it comes to building either training programs or products for people to use. And when I say waterfall, I essentially mean that they'll spend months, sometimes even years planning to the T and then they execute. So someone like yourself who has a more kind of uh, an agile way of looking at things would think, oh, but we could just create a prototype training, see what that looks like, launch it in a few weeks, test it out on people who genuinely want this training, get feedback from them. And then next time when we do it again, it gets better. So there's definitely a mindset shift that needs to happen. But I think this then goes into the topic of business agility. You mm-hmm. can't just be agile in one place. You can't just explore ways of working and also just exploring new behaviors in one area of your entire enterprise or even startup. Everyone needs to be involved with it. Otherwise, it just becomes a really painful uphill battle where you take two steps forward and then 20 steps backwards. Yeah, this is so, so accurate. I completely agree with what you're just, you've just said. This idea of we can't have it in pockets of the organization. It has to really be the whole organization has to go through this business agility transformation. It's a huge undertaking, but we can do it. I, I'm hopeful. I think that it is doable. Um, if we do take that approach of piloting, here and there and incrementally changing. Mm. I think it's so doable. On that positive note, we're getting to an end of this Mm -hmm. episode. Yeah, business agility is a great fun topic of mine. But before we let you go, we would love to continue our conversations. But from our listeners, we're always curious to find out what book that they are loving at the moment or even a tool they are using that allows them to create better and happier or faster uh, environments. Okay, so I'll stick with the books. (laughs) (laughs) No worries at all, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I just read a lot. Um, So I'm I'm actually rereading this book. It's called Coactive Leadership. I don't know if you've heard of Coactive Coaching. It's in the same, the same author wrote this book called Coactive Leadership. It's about the the five different ways we lead. And it's a great book. And it's a short read. I would encourage everybody to just pick it up and read it. And the other one that I literally just started this morning was Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. I just love everything Brene Brown does. So I'm yeah. actually uh, reading this. I don't know if you've read it, um, but 
No, I did recently listen to her Netflix, uh, oh, yeah. her Netflix uh, documentary episode thing that she mm-hmm. released. Yeah, yeah, that was great. So I'm excited to read her The Gifts of Imperfection. Lovely. I'll definitely be adding those books to my reading list. To the listeners, I think what I might do actually as a token of kindness is some of the books that the guests so far have recommended. If you're interested in getting any of the books, let me know and I will be sending over a copy as a thank you for basically just sticking around. This is still very much the beginning of this podcast. We're improving incrementally uh, with every episode, but the speakers that we've had so far, uh, like yourself, Barty, and more to come have just been absolutely phenomenal. So again, Barty, thank you so much. And to the listeners, thank you for being here. For those who are new, welcome to the club. Our episodes are meant to be quite light, short, straight to the point, no faffing around, and everything about organizational change and what we can do to make it better, fast, and happier. As I said, if you're new, please subscribe, switch on the notification bell, so at least you get to get some messages or get informed when we release new episodes. So as of recently, I know, I understand the episodes have been going, I've been drip feeding them into into the world, just seeing if there's appetite and there certainly is appetite. So what we'll be doing over the next few weeks is actually taking a break because we will be recording a series of episodes and then we'll be looking at releasing the first episode uh, the first week of August. So this will be the last episode for now, but don't worry, there is more to come. But that's it for now. We'll see you around. Bye. Bye.